Hello and welcome to yet another Trina Community broadcast on this St. Patrick's Day of 2022. I can tell you and you find out later on the leprechauns have already been busy last night and we'll have a few cool surprises. And I'm joined by uh, Claudius and Joe today. Um, we'll find out lots more about a whole bunch of things today. Should be an exciting show. Welcome, everyone. You want to say a quick introduction, Claudius? Hi, thanks, Manfred. I'm one of the product managers here at Starburst, and I'm really excited to talk about our Delta contribution later in the show. So thanks. Yeah, that's going to be a big focus. Super exciting. Um, everyone in the community has been clamoring for that around. Uh, Starburst customers been enjoying the Delta Lake connector for quite a while. And now it's not just our customers. It's everyone in the community, which is awesome. How about you, Joe? Why are you here? Sure thing, Manfred. Uh, I'm Joe. I'm an information engineer or tech writer at Starburst. Uh, and recently, I've been working on Project Tardigrade, uh, providing documentation for that. So I'm going to give a project update on that and maybe a little tour of the docs, too. All right. That sounds excellent. So we have lots planned. Um, concept of the week, question of the week, PR of the week, all sorts of things. But first, we will talk about the releases. So let's have a look. Um, where are we? I'm going to change over to this and this and go to our quick announcement. So releases, it is another month. And as I mentioned, the Leprechaun's been busy. We tried our <laughs> weekly release yesterday with Trino 374 and uh, some of the PRs that snuck in. Actually, there was some breakage with regards to our build system, Apache Maven. So the 374 release didn't make it out overnight, but there's still a lot of exciting changes. So as you see, um, and what Claudius already snuck out, the Delta Lake connector arrived in Trino 373 last week already. So it is ready, and we'll be demoing that later today. Uh, on a 372 release, Martin mentioned there's a trim array function. We started to support reading set standards on compressed AVO files in the Hive, Iceberg, and Delta Lake connectors. Um, support for column comments is now in Iceberg. And the CUDA connector got Kerberos authentication. Can you believe that? Some people are playing around with Kerberos. I don't know. It's not <laughs> very fun, I have to tell you. So hopefully those people that are still stuck with it and are using CUDA are a bit happier now. So that's cool. Hope, hopefully they feel heard, those people using Kerberos out there. Yes, exactly. It's one of those things, right? Like if you're stuck with it, then um, it, it, it does work, but it's tricky. <laughs> It's always funny to talk about that with people that, that actually have to debug that and just hear them going, oh, yeah, not fun. <laughs> uh, Trino 372, as I mentioned, the major thing we got is the Delta Lake connector. Really great um, new connector contributed by Starburst. This whole episode, we'll talk a lot more about that, so I'm not going to go dive into any more details. We got performance improvements for like statements, uh, which obviously are very, very common. Um, in Elasticsearch and Postgres connectors. So there's some more um, lower level improvements happening there. Um, partitioned Hive tables also got performance improvements. And then uh, very importantly, you can now access your S3 files. Uh, so object files in uh, Amazon S3, typically with the Hive connector, um, but now also with the Delta Lake connector, potentially via HTTP proxy. So you know if there's like some sort of security setup, um, you can now through, go through the proxy. Trino 374, we'll look at the preview release note here. You see, very busy. This was the planned release notes for yesterday. Didn't happen, but there's a whole lot of cool stuff coming. Um, 
The main thing we'll talk about a bit later is fault-tolerant execution is pretty much ready, but I'm not going to dive into that. And a couple of other things. Specifically, I want to mention the MongoDB connector got a whole lot of little changes. Create schema, drop schema, comment on table, comment on column. Shout out to Usher and Yuya on that. Always great to see how they're ripping into things. And then another one that's coming with 374 is the MemSQL connector. Is more and more morphing to be truly the single store connector. As you know, the open source MemSQL project got renamed to single store. Uh, the company is now very much behind that and pushing it, driving innovation on it very nicely. And there's a dedicated single store JDBC driver now. So we don't have to use the MariaDB one anymore, um, which will bring us performance improvements and um, just like, you know, general more correctness because it's actually native for the system. And we're using that now. And so with that, we also started deprecating the name, connect the name. So if you're using that connector, just make sure you uh, update your catalog properties files. A um, couple of other things I wanted to mention that I thought are very cool uh, in those releases that came about. There's always more, obviously, and you can go and look at the release notes 372, 373, and 374 directly. But a um, couple of things. Um, Timeout configuration for LDAP authentication. Obviously, very common to use LDAP Active Directory as an authentication backend for your system. Now, uh, you can have a bit of a timeout configuration there. Sometimes happens, you know, LDAP directories uh, are often very, very text because everyone is using them. And then if there's no timeout, then you can't log in. That's kind of painful. Um, Something that Joe will talk about as well. Some of the fault-tolerant execution values are now available in the web UI, which is really useful when you start using that. One thing that I'm very happy about is that uh, David wrote the uh, fix for the JDBC driver to allow it to work for the get properties. So you know the JDBC driver has properties such as source, client, tags, and others. Um, this method can now be used by people that implement drivers to automatically populate the UI. And that is something that DB Visualizer tool wants to do. So I'm looking forward to them implementing support for Trino shortly. Um, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that, by the way. Hi. <laughs> because they requested this feature. So um, that's going to be cool. And I'm hoping I can even rope them in for a future episode. Um, you heard it here first. Um, on the CLI usage, VI and Emacs editing modes are there. I'm not going to take sides on this. <laughs> I have used both VI and Emacs in the past. So whatever you like to do, now you can choose in the CLI. And yes, <laughs> as you can see from Claudius, he he's also not so sure he wants to pick a side. Right, Claudius? <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're both good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what I think. Um the Cassandra connector now supports trunky table. Uh, as you know, that's uh, sort of a similar syntax. It's like it's an easier syntax for delete star from a table, which basically means it deletes all the data in a table without deleting the table metadata itself. So it basically ends up in, a, in an empty table. Can be used for, for uh, cleanup uh, situations for it's like temporary tables that you are going to fill up again. And that's a nicer, shorter syntax. The MongoDB connector already mentioned. There's more performance improvements in the PostgreSQL connector and single store I already talked about as well. So lots of cool stuff happening in those releases. And as I mentioned, the 374 failed last night. So once I'm done with this broadcast here, me and a whole bunch of other of the maintainers will try to get the release notes updated, take count of everything. And um, I know a whole bunch of them are already working very hard on 
trying to see what's happening. There's a whole bunch of infrastructure involved in order to get artifacts to the Maven Central repository. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> as I said, the Leprechaun's really been very busy. And as you can see, my, my green backbone is also fully themed in the day. And by the way, I also roped in Joe and uh, <laughs> and Claudius to have a bit of green on them as well. I, I, you want to show I, off your I, nice tie, Claudius? <laughs> <laughs> Look, this was the only green thing that I had to wear. I know I just look like a shadow, but hang on. I swear to you, like, it's it's green. I promise. <laughs> I, I, <see> it. <sighs> I, I can clearly see it. <laughs> All right. And that is it with our, our first section about the releases. The next thing is going to be an awesome update from Joe about I don't know. We have this little bear thing. What is that about, Joe? Bear? Oh, yes. Uh, the little, uh, I think they're also known as water bears. They're very resilient and they are, uh, I don't have any more fun facts about them. I'm sure you've talked about that before. But we're but talking anyway. about Project Tardigrade. For those that haven't seen our prior episode with uh, all the stars behind it, we are just uh, like hand holders and, and user-facing people. But really, it's like Lukash and Andre and Zebing, Brian. Yeah. And, would, and would you the say they're very robust creatures? Yeah, they're very robust. And, and they these developers <laughs> who are awesome engineers are helping us to make Trino very robust, which then also will mean that you can run an ETL cluster. So mm -hmm. tell us more what's going on, Joe. Yeah, totally. Uh, so like I mentioned, uh, I'm a technical writer. So I have been uh, lately I've been working on the docs for Project Tardigrade over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and coming in relatively fresh on this, it's been super cool catching up on all the contributors' hard work on this. Uh, so when I write docs, I usually have to translate uh, project jargon into user-facing value. So, uh, and in the case of Project Tardigrade, there's a lot of real uh, user, user value here. So uh, the component of Project Tardigrade that I've been working on is fault-tolerant execution. Uh, Manfred, if you want to go ahead and pull up the doc on that. Uh, yeah, sure. Let me detail. show off what you've done um, over here. This is the 374 snapshot. This is going to go live as soon as we ship the release later today, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but this is what's going to look like. Separate page in the administration section, fault-tolerant execution. So what did you write here? Sure. Well, fault-tolerant execution uh, is a mechanism that retries queries or tasks uh, on failure without requiring a uh, manual restart. So uh, as far as resiliency goes, like this is both helpful to reduce manual query management in the event of a failure, uh, but it also uh, helps ensure that larger like batch queries uh, can complete. So what's the difference between a query and a task? Sorry, what is a task? I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, sure. So a task, I mean, without getting into the technical detail, it's a smaller component of a query. So when you execute a query in Trino, uh, as part of the planning process, Trino will break that up into smaller tasks that it allocates out to workers as, uh, as workers are available. Uh, so if you set up a task retry policy, in this case, if an individual task fails, rather than try to restart the entire query, like current behavior is, oh, a task failed, the query failed, go ahead and run that again, which is really, really unhelpful if you're running a huge batch query. So uh, that means, uh, just to be clear, right, that means mm -hmm. you as a user get a failure and you have to press run again yourself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, just to dive into the weeds a little bit here, the main property to do with fault-tolerant execution is this retry policy property. Uh, which takes a couple of values. Uh, by default, it's set to none, which means uh, it, this is disabled. It won't do this. Uh, but you have two options. You have query and task. Uh, 
So fault tolerant execution will take one of these two values to determine whether it is going to focus on retrying an entire query. So like, oh, this query is failing. Let's retry the whole query a couple times, which uh, I would say is recommended if you're mostly running like smaller queries, like just you're getting a ton of query volume from smaller queries, then setting that policy will just help you be a little more hands off in the event of a failure. Uh, and then the other option here, which is task, is like we just talked about, uh, giving Trina the opportunity to focus on individual tasks and restart those if they fail, which is better for like batch queries, ETL type queries, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so, so where do you set this retry policy up? You set that in your uh, in your configuration properties for the whole for the whole cluster. So that needs to be in your coordinator and all worker nodes. Okay. So <laughs> so then. Is it true that I can just run that on any cluster or what's the project at in terms of status? Like, yeah, can sure. I just switch this on in my production cluster or? Mm. So the latest update uh, that we have on this from the contributors is that the feature is code complete. So like the code is all there and we've done, uh, we've got unit and integration tests. So we feel confident that, you know, that's why we bundled it in 374 is so that people can actually start getting their hands on it and start using it. But we are in the process of doing testing now on uh, on actual clusters out in the real world. So I would not say this is production ready just yet. Uh, but that being said, if you have a test cluster, once 374 comes out, I would definitely encourage everybody to go try enabling this on your own. Uh, there's a couple other options available for this. Like there's advanced configuration where you can get really into the weeds on like what the, what the retry looks like, like the thresholds for that. Although I've been assured that like the default values for these are probably fine for most cases. Um, so like you can get into all of this with 374 and then please, please, please give us your feedback on how this is working in your test cluster. Uh, there's a Slack channel on the Trino Slack, the hashtag project tardigrade Slack channel. Uh, where we're encouraging people to give your beta feedback, ask questions. Uh, and there's also a post there uh, that you can follow to get status updates on this as well. So once this is production ready with an upcoming release, you will hear about it. And we encourage you all to uh, to start using that. So that's awesome. So there's definitely a call out, basically. Everyone go use it, try it out, and come back to us and tell us, <laughs> We have completely failed. In the, <laughs> listen, in the in the tech writing world, we love call to actions, and sometimes that call to action is to tell us what we're doing wrong. So that's right. We yeah. we especially love the spelling mistakes and the developers more like like broken functionality. Oh, <laughs> if you notice a problem with my writing, by all means, leave me your scathing feedback in there. It's much appreciated. Oh, yeah, it's terrible, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> nice work on that on that big, big documentation. I, I know that the developers were blown away that you understood all this, which <laughs> is obviously not surprising considering that you have a, a good tech and like support background and everything. So well done oh, on that. So. Very nice. So I'm, I'm very happy to report that. And please uh, go out and there, test it out and everyone and get back to us on the Trino Slack in the Project Hardigrade channel and we'll be rocking it. So that is very excellent. I'm also being told real quick, we have a, another special guest joining us today. One moment, buddy, you there? Let's get a little. Hello. Uh, joining us Hello. for the broadcast today, my buddy Qbert. Very nice. <laughs> you need a pyramid set up back there. Oh yeah. And, 
And I have to say, Brian, who is on leave for his baby, which is why he's missing, he's he he's very bold and says VI or die. I'm sorry, but good luck with that, Brian. We are not picking sides here. Okay, yeah, I got to so run. Actually, I can't. Ancient history. Uh, that I, I was wondering if you had already talked about some of the history behind retriability. It's it's pretty interesting. Mm. So. If you, I don't know if you've heard this, right? So when when MD2, uh, Martin, Dana, David first wrote Presto, uh, the, the status quo was queries would take so long that an analyst could do six queries on a good day. Hmm. And if your queries are taking that long, you absolutely need them to retry partway through or you're wasting tons of time. And so when they showed up with Presto, they said, well, this huge query is now going to take two minutes. And so just retry it. Who cares, right? And, and so we didn't need it. There were a couple of calls earlier on to say, can we build this redundancy? And because it was just so fast, it didn't matter. But then, of course, what do people do when you give them something really fast? They're like, I'm gonna you know what that reminds me? You know what I just thought of? That's like totally like the like the quote from was it Steve Chaw? Oh, sorry, was it like Bill Gates or so? Like 640k memory? <laughs> How would anyone ever need more than that? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like that, right? <laughs> the world market has capacity for six computers. I think that was uh, yeah, yeah, something like that from some IBM guy. Seventies, <laughs> yeah. I feel like every every like tech startup, everyone needs to have just Moore's law, just like printed out, like torn out of every CS one hundred one textbook and put up there. Like, yeah. don't say things like that because it will come to bite you later. We know this, but now now it will retry. So so there we go. Yeah, now it's going to be super excited. We're all looking forward to see how this goes. And I'm also very much looking forward to this, making its way into Star Wars Galaxy, where people can like take advantage of it very nicely. So that's going to be super awesome. We'll get it into Star Wars Enterprise. But of course, first, we're going to make it super rock solid in Trino, which is going to be very, very excellent. So enough of the little bears and the leprechauns. Let's switch over to the... So, Claudio's concept of the week is uh, the new Delta Lake connector. Are you excited about that? Absolutely. I'm really excited about this. Um, so, we've had a Delta Lake connector in Starburst for a year and a half, two years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently, it was February 8th, if I remember correctly, we donated this to Trino. So, this is now available for everyone to use. And you can now create a complete lake house with just uh open source delta lake and trino and you're off to the races and i'm going to show that later all right cool that's awesome so a new connector for delta lake object storage so uh before we dive into those details for those of us that are not as technical as claudius and know what all this means um quick recapture what why is this a big deal that there's a new connector for delta lake so quick refresher what is even a connector as you know trino um allows you to query any sort of data source with a SQL statement or many SQL statements. In fact, it doesn't matter if it's a relational database, a NoSQL database, or an object storage. The connector is the thing that establishes the understanding for Trino of what it means to load, a load data from a table. How do you even do that, right? So, uh, and in order to do that, the connector is that translator that. Uh, connects uh, all the concepts, right? Like at what, what rows, data types are, and so on. So um, 
having a new connector for a new system means that suddenly now in Trino, you can query that system. And that could be a NoSQL database like Elasticsearch and MongoDB for which we have connectors already. The usual or good old Hive or Hadoop storage stuff where we have a connector. Um, and now Delta Lake. So there's two things that need to be understood there though is, and that is when you query a system, you need to, on the one hand, get the data, but you also need to get the metadata, right? Like there's questions that the connector needs to be able to answer to Trino, uh, such as what schemas are there in this catalog, in this data source, what tables are there and so on. And then also it needs to go and be able to, uh, with that metadata information, answer questions like, give me the first 100 rows from table A or you know, get me all the files from that partition X in the directory X. And then the connector and Trino overall also potentially need to convert those files. And that's where we are with Delta Lake, right? So we have this new connector. What is Delta Lake? Delta Lake is um, an evolutionary, very much advanced um, uh, step forward from the usual uh, object storage data source, Hive Hadoop, where you have a bunch of files in a directory structure on S3 or Google Cloud Storage or wherever in some directory storage, maybe even Hadoop, or as we'll see later on, uh, Claudius will show it with MinIO. Um, you have that file. Uh, Delta Lake adds lots of cool features like, um, like it's asset compliant. Uh, it has uh, complete time travel features, lots more stuff like that. Um, but for the metadata, it also needs a Hive Metastore service. So it's similar to the to the Hive connector or also the Iceberg connector where there's basically a bunch of files in some storage in a format like Parquet or Orc. And then there's the Hive Metastore service to contain the metadata. And that gets us to the new connector. As you know, Delta Lake is fully open source. Trino is fully open source. But both Delta Lake and Trino are backed by companies that very much uh, make these products like really enterprise grade ready as well, right? Databricks is working very hard on Delta Lake and that's awesome. And Starburst is working very hard on Trino. So together we now got this connector in Trino. So with that, you want to tell us a bit more about how this all came about maybe, Claudius? Yeah, so we had this connector. Uh, we, we landed the initial portion uh, in 332, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Starburst Enterprise 332. Yeah, and, and the way we, we usually roll out connectors, and you see this in many of our other ones, is we first try to get read correctness, right? It, people often use Trino for analytics. They've written with something else, and now they want to read it so they can do some analytics on it. And then we start working on performance because usually when you're doing these sort of large-scale analytics, that people do in Trino, there are large data sets, you need it to be faster. Yeah, it's literally and, like thousands of files or like, you know, terabytes or petabytes of files to analyze with bigger queries and stuff like that. So you need to have a, a highly performant reader, which we have for Oracle and Parquet, so that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I mean, part of the point of these object stores are that you can access them in parallel. So of course, you know, Unless you do that, you're not taking full advantage of it. Yeah, more people will hammer it even more. So you need a bigger Trino cluster to query it all, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a bigger uh, Delta cluster. And 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 so what we did is um, 
uh, we, we've been adding to this over the past year and a half. And last summer, we had added a lot of capabilities in uh, DML, so inserting and updating and deleting records. And then we uh, uh, put the latest sort of piece of polish on it, which we're adding is uh, uh, data management capabilities. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the demo. But then what it came down to is we, we had two big motivations. Um, one is that I, I know a lot of people here are familiar with Galaxy. Galaxy is based on Trino. And so, you know, this is a great connector. We want to use it in Galaxy. We want to make it available through Galaxy. So, so we had to put it on the Trino. The other more important point, though, is we've been an open core company from day one. Uh, before Starburst existed, Trino was there as an open source project. We've benefited greatly from Trino. It's an awesome community. And it only makes sense that we contribute back. So just as we hope to use this Delta Lake connector in uh, Galaxy to, to improve the, the experience of our Galaxy users, we're really excited to see what other people end up doing with it because the, the community is a source of inspiration to us. We can see how you do it, how you uh, uh, find more information out of your data, and we're watching. Yeah, and there'll also be obviously more use cases. It's always one of those things, right? Like you throw something in the open source community or in general in a larger user community, and you'll be like surprised on use cases people come up with and edge cases they find that you would never do. And we want to make sure we get rock solid Delta Lake support. And it's already very production proven from our established enterprise users, but I'm sure we can make it even better. Yep. <laughs> so that's going to be going to be quite amazing. So what else do we want to talk about there? Uh, let me see. Well, um, I have to say that this St. Patrick's Day is really working well because the pull request of the week or of the episode, let's run that jingle quickly just because we can. If I can find my right button. The pull request of the week has been canceled. Not just joking. <laughs> the pull request <laughs> of the week is on GitHub. GitHub is down. <laughs> so I can't show you the pull request of the week, but we can talk of the about the code anyway because we know sort of enough about it. Um, so as usual, um, a pull request means you contribute in code. In this case, we had to lift and shift the code from Starburst Enterprise internal into Trino. Obviously, it's very similar slash nearly the same. But there's still, you know, like Trina has a super high code quality and we had to like really uh, apply to all the code standards, all the maintainers really work together. I think in overall, from what I remember, it's like 28 people worked on this overall in this PR. Lots and lots of comments went in. Obviously, very experienced developers were looking at it, but this pull, this connector just implements a plugin, right? Like every connector in Trino is a plugin, has its own class path, its own dependencies. So you have to clean all that up, make sure this all loads properly. And then also interestingly, um, more and more it becomes visible. What's happening is some of our sort of like object storage connectors, I don't want to call them that, it's kind of like not very much well known and people understand them differently, but like our Hive connector now, our iceberg connector and now the Delta Lake connector, they have similar aspects to them, right? Like they need to read org files. They need to read parquet files. Some of them like even need to read like 
silly CSV files or JSON files, which obviously slow. You don't want to do that, but you can. And they also need to work with, say, the Amazon Glue data catalog or Hive Metastore. Maybe in the future, there's other data catalogs coming in. So a lot of these libraries are the, under the hood are getting shared more and more in Trino. So that's really awesome. So we had to plug all that in. So a lot of those changes had to go in. But the connector, as you saw before, I showed you, I can switch that back on. Um, Jesse has been working very hard on getting the, con the documentation moved over. We even added the beautiful Delta Lake uh, logo here. And, you know, we have requirements, configuration, um, properties, lots of properties here. You see the SQL support, as Claudius mentioned, you can do all the cool things. But when it comes to all the cool things, I have something much better than the cool things that I can show because we have the that it is who's doing a demo here is, is it demo time should i show a demo do a demo 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 claudio show us what you got All right. i think we can do that uh awesome before we do i'd like to you, you brought up two excellent points and i, I want to make sure these don't get lost Let's uh, do it. It, it, the the hallmark of a successful or one of the hallmarks of a successful open source project is community engagement, right? It's, it's it, these, these open source projects where you just have one person uh, doing something doesn't meet broad community needs. And you, you had mentioned that, that when you push out something like, like a Delta Lake connector, we need to make sure that a whole bunch of people have their needs met in, in terms of what this uh, uh, provides. And you can see how well this works. You know, we get 28 people on this uh, uh, PR. These are all people making sure that everybody in the community can can get what they want and and can 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 be able to be successful. So that's really exciting, and and I love to see how how people come together and and uh, you know build together. So yeah, and 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 hopefully we enable them. Like uh, our project Hardigrade is another one of those examples. It's it's very important to get the features in, get the code in, get it sort of working at least as an MVP standard for a project Hardigrade. We are at that level. Delta Lake, we are more like production level, but you still want to get it out, get it in the hands of people using it, finding all these edge cases and making it super shiny. And that's what's going to make Commander Banban happy. Awesome. Well, we definitely want Commander Banban happy. Exactly. You don't want any crazy bunnies. <laughs> I've, I've seen Monty Python. Let's, let's not go there. <laughs> so let, let's take a quick look at, there, there's just one thing I want to show you in on a command line. I, I try to avoid these during demos mostly, um, but this is, this is important. If, if, if you're uh, the, the watchers who have seen previous episodes of the Trino community broadcast are going to be familiar with this, but when you're adding a connector, you're going to look in uh, the same location where all other uh, lake house connectors are. So this is going to seem familiar to you. We define a catalog in the catalogs directory. It looks very similar as Manfred was saying. We got to tell it where the meta store is so it knows how to translate files into tables. We need to tell it where the actual storage is. Uh, and in this case, you're using Minao, which is, as you can see from the property name, is hive.s3. So Minao is one of those open source um, S3 compatible, I guess. S3 is kind of a standard. 
not really a standard, but kind of like ended up being a standard. <laughs> and it's one of those open source compatible, like S3 compatible object storage systems. And yeah, as you exactly. can see later on, also has a very nice console. Yeah. And Brian has used it in the past to, to demos and you, you're showing it us today with Delta Lake. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go into the MinIO console, but I'm, I'm going to concentrate on Delta Lake. Yeah, uh, the, the awesome. interesting thing about this is that that uh, a lot of people use S3 in the cloud, but especially for development or when you're doing anything on-prem, MinIO's, again, it's open source, it's very convenient, and uh, it's it's great for demos, too. Yeah, so, no, it also works very great in production, by the way. Of course, like as you oh, know, yeah, with Starburst Enterprise, people use this in production. We have full support for it. It's very well tested and everything. Yeah, it's 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 a nice combination of powerful and ease of use. So, yeah. and and then of course the last thing is you have to tell it that it's the Delta Lake connector and not Hive or something else, right? Yeah. So let's. That's the here. property that I mentioned earlier on that changed from MSQL to single store. Now that you want to make sure you change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes the, these connectors will change, and you might need to uh, uh, catch up with those to make sure they're still in the right location. So. We have so all this stuff is running now, Claudius. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just a, a Docker container, right? These are just uh, uh, you know we've got uh, uh, MariaDB for our backend. We've got MinIO here to store the actual data. We've got our coordinator, um, and then we have the Metastore. The, the Very cool. And you set this up with Brian's uh, demo repository right here. Yeah, and we'll send a link to that. In, in the show notes later, so you can try this yourself. Awesome. And we'll also include these commands so you can just run it out of the box. This is this is pretty straightforward. You set up that connection file, and let me just show you the the, the connection here. Again, in dBeaver, you can use, there's a Trino driver set up for it. Uh, can't find the driver right now. Uh, if you set up driver properties, it's, it's there. It has the beautiful Commander Bun Bun logo. You tell it what you're connecting to and a catalog name, and you're good to go. This is pretty straightforward. In fact, that catalog name is optional. And in case you're looking for step-by-step -step introductions and uh, docs for that, you can go to docs.starburst.io. And the data consumer section, there is one for dBeaver, but for any other sort of clients you might like as well. Yep. So if we start off, we can see in dBeaver, we're going to start off, we've got a few catalogs that it set up. If you saw in the configuration before, I had set these up as well. Uh, you can play around with these for for uh, uh, trying some of the federation into, into uh, Delta later, if, if you want to play with that. And we'll see what schemas are in here. Right now, it's empty, right? We have the default schemas that it starts with. So I want to show you from here, ground up uh, if, if you want to use this Trino and open source Delta combination as your lake house, what steps might you take? So you first want to set it up. Of course, in, uh, in Delta, you want to tell it where it is. So I've created a bucket, Claudia's test bucket. This is just a straight up uh, 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 S3 or MinIO command. And I told it what, I, what uh, uh, directory I want the schema in. I'll run that. And then we want to create a table. This is standard SQL. You're not doing anything different than what you're used to. And then we want to put some values into it, right? So these are your first steps to get some data into here. And you could do this all on your own and then pull it out, right? Pretty standard operations. The frequent thing that people end up doing in Delta is they use it as a staging area for other 
data. So you might have a, a system of record that has your base information and you want to put that into Delta for manipulation so you can change it. Hang on, before you go to the CTAS statement, Claudius, what happened with the first stuff there? Like the first four statements? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Manfred. So the, the first statement here creates the schema. So we have the Delta catalog. And as you know, uh, 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 Trino has a multi-part naming convention. We've got the catalog, we've got the schema, and we've got the table, right? So we have to create the schema within there, and we have to tell it what directory that's in. So it's really just a directory and that's storage then, isn't it? Yep, yep. Cool. And then to get these table formats, we need to tell it in SQL, what should this table look like? We need to give it a table, right? So a, a name, right? This is, again, normal SQL. We'll call it my table here. We need to tell it what the columns are and what the uh, variables are, what it's going to, uh, sorry, what the types are. And what it's going to do here is it's going to create the actual information on MinIO. And it's also going to create entries in the Metastore to say, when you're looking at bar or at the name, here's the piece that you should look, be looking at in the file, right? It so yeah, so that's, that's, that's cool. So, like, so that they understand the binary files that are just um, whatever, that it knows like, yeah, the first so and so many bytes are actually the name, that kind of stuff is all in the Metastore, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, I mean, you can do all of this manually. Right. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if you really want to, to, to get deep into what all the files are in your object storage, you can manipulate them manually. There are tools for these. One of the beauties of, of this is that you can use standard SQL, and for the most part, you don't need to care. Right? You, you can abstract that all away and just do regular SQL, and it just works. Hmm. So that's, that's really nice. Um, so yeah, let me. Uh, uh, did, did so, that sorry for an interruption, but I think that, no, that was interesting we, for everyone. We want to we're gonna make sure that everyone yeah. understands what they need to know. Um, the 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 CTAS is is interesting. I wanted to show this because this basically lets you create a table out of some other statement. This is a very simple one. In real life, this select statement here would likely be some sort of join. It would likely be referencing other catalogs, maybe Hive, maybe you know. Uh, uh, we, we end up referencing TCP uh, a lot for our, for our benchmarks and tests. And but, but in a practical world, you could reference your your Oracle Enterprise Resource Planning database and your web traffic system and whatever and else, and flop it all together, right? And exactly, yeah, yeah. So you can combine all this together and put it into Delta Lake, or you could put it some of it into Delta Lake and then later query that table and join it with something else. Hmm. Right? And then do your analytics on it. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's what's interesting, though, about Delta, so this, what I showed you so far, you can do before. You could do this in Hive, right? That's, that's all, all right. But what happens in real life is you're usually not putting it in, and then you're done with it, right? So if we have a scenario, so we, we put John and Jane in here, but, you know, maybe John said that was what they called me in high school. I go by Jonathan now. How do you update in this, this in place? We had one in, in Starburst, we had a customer who was going through a process where every time they noticed an error like this, they would have to update a SQL server database that had a batch job that sent it to Teradata. Uh, oh, sorry, a, a UDF that sent it to Teradata 
And because that would bundle rights to Teradata to save costs on Teradata. And then they had a batch job that pulled out of Teradata into uh, Delta Lake because they couldn't do update operations. And so anytime they made an update, they waited 24 hours. We're not going to wait 24 hours, though. Yeah, we're, no, we're going to uh, wait 24 seconds, we're not even. <laughs> and do a regular update statement like, like normal people. And, oh, sorry, I need to make sure I'm not my other... Highlighting one statement at a time. <laughs> Highlighting the statement at a time, exactly. Let me make sure I'm doing this first. Now, uh, here's the problem. I, I didn't actually run this. We'll highlight the statement and run it correctly. Now you can see the select that's there. I'm not making it up. And now we will update John to Jonathan. And now he's now he's happy. We're not we're not calling him by his kitty nickname anymore. The, the other thing, <laughs> people get upset about that. Yeah, no more little Johnny. No, no. <laughs> um, Mr. Jonathan. <laughs> the, the other thing that we see a lot is people sometimes leave. And uh, these privacy controls and regulations are getting a lot more serious, which is a great thing. And we often need to care about these in, in open source, right? This is not just the domain of enterprises anymore. So oh, let's yeah. Jane says, I've moved, right? Lose my information. You have a legal obligation to do that. Yeah, and that's more and more common, right? Like in Europe, obviously, we have the GDPR, GDPR regulations. We have privacy bills in in California and other places. It's more and more common. And you have to have a policy that allows customers to say, well, delete my data. What do you do now? Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, I, I hear that it's a lot of fun to just read in the whole partition, uh, remove that line, and then rewrite it without it, right? People love doing that, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm sure that's well, a lot of fun. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe maybe it's better just to delete it in place. We can do this, and then we can see that Jane is gone. She's not. She's. We don't need to worry about her uh, filing complaints with our regulators. So awesome. the last thing I want to show you is this. Is, it's it's a little harder to show because this does take place at the file level, but when you um, when you do this right when when you're doing a lot of updates and deletes. Uh, revealing a little bit of the sausage here. What goes on under the covers is uh, Delta Lake is creating a lot of little files. Uh, and, and it does this, I'm not going to go into the details of, of how it updates its, of how it does its updates to maintain consistency. The problem is that on reads, that ends up getting slow. So in this case, you're not going to see it, right? If <laughs> you see all these selects are pretty fast. When you have hundreds of thousands, millions of, of files, that gets really slow. So we implemented optimize. And what that does is essentially compaction. You're not going to be able to see much other than that it just runs without error. What that's going to do is take all these little files that we would have created. Well, in this case, we would have had three files, not, not too many, and compacts them to whatever the optimal size is. The default is 10, but you can play around with that to see what works better for you. Mm. You know, funny tangent, why that's so slow? Why, which, uh, why is many files slow? reading lots of small files, I believe it's because you just have to read a lot more files to, to find. Yeah, but what does that mean? Isn't that a system IO thing? Like it's a, like the, the, the problem from what I understand is actually that originally these things were optimized, like especially the Hadoop file system was optimized for local file reads where reading a directory listing is relatively fast, oh. but when you do that over then and now these file systems are more 
like cloud file systems like object storage and then reading the whole long direct listings of all the files is a longer operation so it's much more efficient to have like sh small directory listings and even on a file system it can be uh, prohibitive because you have like you know if you have tens of thousands in a direct files in the directory it actually gets slow as well and that overhead of reading that again and again for each file is dumb so that's one of the reasons and like from what i understand is the Hadoop file system was really optimized for local file reads. And that's also one of the things why there's all these other cloud object storage systems now and Hadoop is just becoming more and more like legacy basically, right? So it's it's kind of interesting, I thought. Yeah. I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah, no, I find I find these like historical, like how did we end up with these? These are fascinating sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's exciting. Always new technologies come up, and Delta Lake is definitely a very cool one. So uh, this this yeah. is all very amazing. Um, I saw this like optimized statement. I also from the documentation, as we saw early on, there's also vacuum. Yeah. What what does that sort of do? Oh yeah, so vacuum. I, I don't have this in here. What it, what that does is so w when you uh, Delta Lake supports time travel, which means when you change records, they don't really go away, right? It, initially, you just update oh, yeah. that there has been the change. And the nice thing is that that means you can use the the as of keywords and oh, yeah. do a query and have it return the results as of a date in the past. And so you can do your month end calculation even like like a month later <laughs> because yeah. you're behind because you don't like bookkeeping. <laughs> exactly, right? So yeah, so you can do it for that. The what what we've seen a lot is. For, for our bigger enterprise com customers, this is, this is really critical because a regulator will sometimes say, hey, uh, finance company or healthcare company or whatever it is, we're auditing you uh, on this date in the past. Give us your records from then. You have got 30 days to do it. Go. And time travel is such an easy way to do that. You just say as of and you're done and hand it over. Yeah, that's cool. But, but as you were saying, right, we're, we're storing all this information, right? We're never giving anything up. And, and that that can be an issue. So vacuum is going to do two things. One, you're, you're going to say, well, okay, I need to be able to time travel, say, six months back. Anything older than that, I can get rid of, right? So that, that will free up some space for you. The other thing that it will do is sometimes you get what's called orphan files. So files that are not referenced by anything else in the structure. And they're useless. They're just taking up space. And then vacuum is going to those up. Object well. storage is cheap, but not that cheap. <laughs> yeah, cheap, but not free. Exactly. So... <laughs> And well, it's up. There's one other thing I wanted to show you. Well, let's say two things. Um, one of the things that we're really proud of in Trino is our cost-based optimizer. And I'm pretty sure you've talked about the, the CBO in the past, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So as, as a lot of our watchers may know, the CBO is, is very dependent on table statistics that are not always provided. And so you can generate these automatically. Well, you can generate them with a simple command. You analyze a table, you pick what the table is, and it's going to write a stats file in there that has all the information that we need to make the CBO run effectively. Number distinct values, min, max, all that kind of jazz. Null value, distribution. And stuff yeah, like exactly. And that's going to mean that when you run these really complicated uh, SQL statements, or when you run big joins, the ones that really, where you really want to optimize because they're the slow ones to begin with, 
those are going to run much faster because it will be able to generate a plan that you know minimizes data movement and minimizes disk seeks and, and stuff like that. Hmm. So when it comes to to performance on a Delta Lake Commander, another question um, is also. Does it also take into account like the whole like running in a cluster, accessing different partitions in different nodes and whatever? Like, like I'm assuming it does all that stuff as well, right? Like so that like different workers read only from the one partition versus the other and that kind of stuff. Similar mm -hmm. to the Hive connector, I'm pretty yeah, sure that's it, right. I'd have to get look back on the details, but yeah, that in general where. The, all our connectors teams are always paying attention to those. Some of that's done in the coordinator and it's independent of the connectors. Some of it's done in the connectors, but at whichever level the code is appropriate, the engineers are always looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so the query is very nicely like distributed across. And this analyze statement will show you sort of how it's breaking things up. And what's actually showing up then there as well is Joe's tasks are showing up. <laughs> and you can see them in the web UI now with the full Torrent execution. Oh, I haven't flipped over. <laughs> uh, let me switch windows here. Joe's tasks are showing up. Um, no, it won't show up in yours because you are not running 374, I think. The full Torrent oh, execution yeah, things are one release away. Tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> we could. It, it could be almost the St. Patrick's Day release. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see. Maybe it's like has a green. <laughs> some green to it. <laughs> so, so what are those drop table statements there? Well, look, you know, you can't just leave data lying around forever. Sometimes you need to, as I tell my kids, you got to clean up after yourself. And um, once your tables and your schemas are no longer needed, get rid of them, right? Let's, let's just go make sure that we actually deleted these, right? Um, we can see the schema's gone. That's actually proof the tables are gone because it won't let you delete the schema if there's still tables in there. Yeah. All right, so we're all clean. So what did I show here? And, and this is really the, the relevant question, right? This is a lot of SQL code. But the key here is that we just went through all of the CRUD operations on Delta Lake. Uh, this is concurrency safe. Uh, you can now use open source Trino and open source Delta Lake. You don't need anything else. And you can start using a full lake house. And you can put this on the cloud. You can put this on-prem. We're really excited to see what you're going to do with it. So, so, so reach out, post, let us know. So what's a lake house, Claudius? Oh, that's a great question. So the uh, I'm going to assume everyone here is familiar. I mean, with I know houses on the lake with going swimming and stuff. I yeah, like that. Yeah, you get boats, too, and, and lawns. <laughs> but the the lake house is a term that's come up in the last few years so we've had data warehouses which were characterized by the the functionality largely performance and uh, acid transactions and typing and then you had data lakes which were characterized in flexibility but largely cost performance the storing data in a data lake is on the order of a hundredth to a thousandth the, the cost. So you can store a lot more. A lake house tries to give you the best of both worlds. So the size of a data lake, the, the cost effectiveness, so you can store everything, huge amounts of data, but the asset capabilities and the data management capabilities of a data warehouse. <laughs> you know what's kind of funny that just came to me in that aspect? 
even in the terms, it's clear that lake house is the best thing because think of a large warehouse. That's just boring, right? Yeah. Think of a, a dark, deep, scary lake. That's also not that great, but a lake house where you can jump in and go swimming. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we see more and more people moving towards this, right? It's, it's, it's nice because you can get started on it easily, right? We just showed you this. This is, you can do this in your, in your home kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. but you can scale to, to giant sizes. You can do this at enterprise scale. So we don't have to run it with me now <laughs> on, you your, on your laptop with Topper Compose. You can run this full on, right? So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it, so you, you joke, well, probably not my laptop, <laughs> but you can do it with Minio, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? People use Docker. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's super awesome. So thank you very much for that demo. It's, I love it. It's really cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I love showing this off to people. I'm really excited with you. Our, our engineers did great work contributing this. Uh, a lot of it is testing. The, 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 the dirty secret of development is we have great code, but to make sure it's great, as we, we need to test everything over and over and over again in many scenarios. Uh, so a lot of the transfer work was taking our Starburst tests, which were exhaustive, and we're moving these over to Trino so that we can make sure that it has the same level of, of uh, uh, robustness as, as what we offer our enterprise clients. Cool. Any next steps that are happening with that? Now that it's out in everyone's hands, I'm hoping we get a lot of feedback from people using it and stuff like that, obviously, right? We are, are, we re we are ready for that, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Please go ahead, use it. Uh, we, we have people using it in enterprise. We're excited to see what people do with it uh, on their own. Uh, we are working together with Databricks, and we'll talk about that in, in future episodes to, to continue to improve it. There's some things we can add to it as well. Oh, yeah. there's, always, there's always more stuff coming, right? <laughs> never awesome. ends, never ends. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And with that, I think it is time for... Do we have a question of the week? I think we do. Let's see if I came up with a question. So now that we've seen this uh, Delta Lake in action and you see there's all sorts of Stiegel statements, this is all going to be available in the show notes. The question of the week talks about, in general, what if I want to have my data source access secured? Remember from Trino, you can hook up any data source via a catalog, but then... How does that catalog connect to, say, for example, the SQL Server, um, and how is that secured? Here's an here's an example um, of a SQL Server connection, and you see this is a catalog that connects to the SQL Server at some host port database name. And an important thing here is this: with the recent releases, we had to change this to encrypt equals false as an example, and then we also see here there is the name of the connection user and the password. So how do you want to secure this? Well, this encrypt false would have to be removed because, in fact, for the SQL Server connector, for example, it uses TLS by default, but TLS requires a valid certificate on the client where you're connecting to. So if that's not the case, which, which if you run your own server might not be the case, that's why the example is encrypt false. Um, the other thing is, of course, here you have username and password. That's not exactly great, but in Trino, you have secret support. So 
if you go to like the Trino documentation, you can see here in security, you see secret support. This allows you to basically replace any sort of, uh, here for example, a connection password with an environment variable. And then your Docker setup, Kubernetes can inject those secrets or whatever system you use can inject those secrets by populating them those environment variables from a secrets management system. This is then just in memory and therefore secure. And your, your secrets on the system are secured and you can therefore establish a secure connection to the SQL server. Now, this is on SQL server and uh, SQL server, this SQL server connector connects to the SQL server database with a JDBC driver. And that's also why the answer of how to secure the connection from a Trino cluster to the data source, the real answer is it depends. Because it depends on what that data source is, how it is secured, like does it have a secure, uh, like a valid globally trusted certificate that the Java virtual machine that connects to it from Trino can trust or doesn't it, right? Like if you write your own self-send certificate, you will gonna may have to make sure that encrypted is false because otherwise the validation will fail, right? So um, it will depend on that data source and how it is secured. And then it will depend on the connector, what it supports. If it's a JDBC based connector, then it also depends on the JDBC driver. So for example, the SQL Server documentation, if you look at that here in connectors, um, you'll see you go to SQL Server, you see that there's links to the JDBC driver connection. Uh, and if the Microsoft site comes up fast enough, uh, we can see that there's a whole bunch of properties for like trust store, key store, and other things, right? Like the, all these property values here uh, will give you more information on the exact string, right? Uh, and that will be different depending on the JDBC driver and therefore the connector. Things like uh, object storage connectors or elastic search connectors or whatever will be again, very, very different. So the answer to how do I secure the connection to a Trino cluster to a data source is it depends on the JDBC driver or whatever is used to connect to the data source and how the connect to the data source is actually secured itself. In all of those cases, however, um, it is possible and you'll have to consult the documentation what that means and you have to adjust your setup. Also keep in mind that typically your Trino cluster and your data source should be closely lo located with each other, ideally even in the same region, network, a virtual private network or so. And if that's the case, then the, the securing the connection is not as important as when they are distributed across like, you know, different clouds of course. Like obviously you want to make it as secure as possible, but um, you also have to figure out what you need, right? Like how painful is it to secure the access when literally Trino and uh, the data source run in the same region, in the same cloud and everything is in a virtual private network. Maybe you don't need to worry about the securing the connection. And then it also, of course, depends on the data, right? So keep all that in mind. It, it makes a big difference, but it is possible to, to secure the connection to the data source. And that's the one side, obviously, in general, more securing about the whole Trino thing, you can secure in the cluster. And then you also have to connect 
to Trino securely when you run your query. So there's always more to think about. We just talked about this end today. We can talk about another end another time. <laughs> are, are we out of time? No, no, no. We are not out of time. We, we, we are, and this is kind of amazing. We are at the one hour mark, which is something that barely happens ever. Typically, we always run over, way over. We're sort of wanting to go towards an hour, but I think um, this has been super exciting. I'm very much looking forward to hear from every, all the people about Project Tardigrade, right, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of exciting stuff coming up. And again, like keep an eye on that Project Tardigrade Slack channel for uh, status updates and to give feedback. Yeah. yeah. And you can and find course, Reno Slack, the Starburst Slack if you're in it. Uh, you can just ping me if you have any questions about it or, or comments. Love to hear it. Yeah. So people can find you on the Trino Slack as well then, Claudius? Claudius Dudley, yep. Excellent. So. So we're all there. Brian will be there as well. He was in this broadcast just before we jumped in because he just, even though he has a baby coming and he's like super excited, he just can't hold back. He's very enthusiastic about Trino and we can't wait to have him back. But we will have a continuing Trino community broadcast. And again, in a month time as usual, we also had a Trino meetup or we're going to have a Trino meetup this week with uh, some people from Robinhood. We had to cancel that. So... If you are wondering what's happening, we're going to run this next week. So you still have a chance to join us then. So make sure you jump in and we'll hear more about how Robinhood is operating the Trino classes at scale. Should be a great little shorter episode and full of interesting insights from, from like someone running this stuff in practice in a pretty large deployment as well. So that's, that's really cool. Anything else we forgot we should talk about? Fingers crossed that we get a 374 out soon and the leprechauns don't interfere too much. <laughs> yeah. And happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone out there. Go to an Irish pub near you and have a bit of a celebration on us. Uh, and we'll see you in a month. Thank you very much, everyone. Yeah, thanks, Thank man. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.